Just for me. 
Good morning, great little Zion. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad within it. It's good to be able to come and share with each and every one of you this morning as we look at sharing in the word of God and prayerfully on listening to God's word today. It will give some insight, provide some illumination to your journey and allow you to be victorious as we continue to walk in the name of our Lord. Let us take our Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. We're going to read today as we continue our journey in the exposition of 1 John. I'm praying that this word is bringing life to your spirit and we're learning some very critical, profitable insight in regard to what John says to us in this brief letter that overwhelmingly find tremendous roots in the gospel of John. We're gonna see some of that today as we go through this text. First John chapter one, let's begin reading at verse five. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 
if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I want to use as a subject this morning as we do uh, a little exposition, particularly of verse five and six, and I may briefly get into verse seven, <clears throat> excuse me, but I want to talk about mastering our midnights, mastering our midnights. One social critic has commented regarding our current social climate, I quote, we are in or one might suggest entering another midnight moment reflective of American history, end quote. There is some truth in that comment. My simple response would be that the current narrative surrounding our events regarding social, political, and economic inequities is nothing new. Perhaps it may pose as both a revelatory and disappointing experience to Generation Xers as well as the Millennials who grew up with a theoretical motif and experience of integration that could be measured as artificial in practice. It looked equitable in theory, but obviously it is corrupt with inequitability. But those of us who are 55 years and older, we know the authentic interpretation and assessment of this climate in America. It's always has been one of midnight experience for black people. Sure, there have been some moments of radiant sunshine and some may be able to identify their journey as absent of midnight struggles. But for the predominance of us, we have managed to make our way through the midnight like nocturnal creatures. We did that by crying through, we screamed through, we bled through, we've limped through, we've prayed through, we've praised through, we've crawled through, we've sung through, we've shouted through, we protested through, we fought through, we've labored through, we voted through, and we did all of that in the midnights of Americans' oppression. As a people, we have to navigate, and we've had to navigate our way through the choices of a nonviolent peaceful response agenda of a Martin King or Jesse Jackson, or we've had to select a more radical and by any means necessary response agenda of a Malcolm X and a Stokey Carmichael. Either way, whatever choice we've made, we have and continue to survive the midnights of both paths. So that raises the question, where are we? What we currently are experiencing is nothing new under the American sun for many of us. We have many we have witnessed many years of the stretch, particularly if you grew up in the South in the 50s and the 60s, 
And even here in the North, we've witnessed the reality of discrimination as well. We are midnight specialists in America. Black folk know how to adapt. They know how to adjust. They know how to use alternative methods. They know how to stretch a little to produce much. We know how to celebrate despite the contention we may be witnessing and experiencing in the context because we are survivors. We have and we will continue to take the broken promises that were made in the American Constitution, the blatant injustices that we are eyewitnessing and have eyewitnessed, the deliberate discriminatory practices, the economic depravity that we've always seen, and in many cases we continue to see, and we will move on, but at the same time, we will keep on fighting for justice and equality. This is where John reiterates in his writing in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, he reiterates the what, the why, and the how of church as an anchor in a community. In this Christian community that John describes for us in these opening lines is what he described the word of life. Because in that community, we are witnesses of how the word of life, Jesus Christ, has revealed himself. And in that community, there is the reality of fellowship with God, with Jesus, and with one another. So in John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John could very well be suggesting that because this community of people who may have come through some midnights in their own journey, he may be inferring by way of suggesting to us in a similar fashion, don't permit the midnight to master you but you master the midnight. Now you might ask why this midnight motif? Why would I choose this as a suggestive motif in John's writing? Well, remember midnight is the farthest from the sunset and the longest from the sunrise. It signifies a period most removed from light in either direction. And with the spiritual spin, midnight often symbolizes all that is dark, all that is black, that is distressing, that is painful, that is disappointing, and that is discouraging. It's a period of difficulty when the lights are all out. Nothing seems to shine in terms of brightness and direction at all. We further must accept that our midnights affect us. For example, we are still wrestling with the post-traumatic syndrome from both the residue of slavery and segregation in America. Our attitude toward midnights, though, on the other hand, will determine its impact on us, whether it will make us stronger or weaker, or whether it will make us better or bitter, or whether it will make us victims or victors. What I'm trying to underscore in this message is 
we must master our midnights or the midnight will master us. All through the Bible, there are midnight moments where providential, that means the hand of God, painful, and yet power-inducing experiences occur. So here's my first point I want to lay before you in this text, because I want us to see how God is working in the midst of each of this, that we might see how God works all things together in the midst of our midnights. Here's my first point. Midnights can be providential. That means that God is either orchestrating or permitting the midnight to occur with a purpose in mind. For example, in Exodus 11, God orchestrated the midnight while changing the midnight into morning in the middle of the night. It was straight midnight for the Egyptian slash Pharaoh because the firstborn were slain. But it became a morning in the midst of the night for Israel who witnessed the infusion of light by God through the work of the deaf angel who passed over because of the blood on the doorposts. What should have been a midnight for all became yet a morning for the Hebrews who trusted in the blood on the doorpost from the lamb that gave them victory. You read 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. John talks about how we have victory, how we have fellowship, but the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. We're going to get into that in the weeks to come as we talk about the remaining of the chapter and how John uh, provides for us the doctrine of sin and how it equates by way of uh, its integration or interaction with the doctrine of holiness in God. But I wanted to make the point <clears throat> that God is at work even in the midst of midnight while orchestrating sometimes how those midnights will occur and then other times permitting the midnight to come and at the same time using it for his good. In Judges chapter 16, God changed once again the midnight to morning. For the Philistines, the death of Samson was their midnight. They wanted to kill him because of what he had done to the Philistines. But for Samson, God infused Samson with power to escape the clutches of his enemy with strength. And when you read Judges 16, you read how Samson picked up the gate post, gates and all, and ran his way up this hill as a way of escape because God turned what should have been a midnight death for Samson into a space of mourning what became his victory. In Acts 16, God changed the midnight again into morning. The prison cell of Paul and Silas became a praise center as the morning yet in the night. In other words, God used every morning, every moment, I should say, and he uses every moment, every midnight, as he did for Paul and Silas, what should have been in that cell block a distressing moment turned out to be a praise moment. They sung hymns and gave praises to God in the midnight. 
and God paid a visit to them, shook the place, provided victory. And I'm trying to say God uses every midnight to teach us how to master the midnight so we can continue to walk in fellowship with him in order to illuminate, to shine brightly in the dark, even in the midst of distressfulness and painfulness and disappointing and discouraging context, God wants us to expel the darkness because we are light. Listen to what he says in verse six of first John one. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and not practicing the truth. But verse seven, if we walk in light, as he is also in the light. In other words, John is saying we can't be anything else but light when you're in Jesus, lest you'll be out of order, out of position, and against the purpose of God in your life. God intended for you and I to be lights wherever we go, even in the midst of its dark midnight context. He still wants us to shine and illuminate to help others who may be in that dark context as well to help help them see their way out of that darkness that they may follow the light which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So some midnights without question are providential. God orchestrates them. God works them. God allows them because they're going to show us how to shine for the glory of God. But then there's a second point. And my second point is this. Midnight can be power provoking. What that means is that midnight situations can stimulate you. It can give rise inside of you. It can give insight. It can arouse you to win, to overcome, to break through because of your readiness in terms of your spirit. Some people aren't afraid of the midnight. In fact, they welcome the challenge. That's their moment to be able to witness the power of their faith, <clears throat> of their faith confession. They can say in the middle of that, I am the head and not the tail. I am more than a conqueror. I am the righteousness of God. I shall overcome. Their faith confession empowers them to be able to rise in the middle of the night and watch the word of God, as, as Psalm 119 says, as a lamp to their feet, a light in their path, helping them to navigate through these midnight moments. That's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus handled the devil in the midnight of his moment. Read Matthew 4. He would not allow fear to stand in his way, but instead he used and stood on the word of God with that phrase, it is written. Now, what John is trying to push forward to us is that midnight causes church communities to bind together, to be strengthened together in their faith. It causes them to be strengthened in their fellowship all because of midnight, all because of trouble. What has been the anchor in our community is the church, the African-American church. It's been the anchor that has given us the inspiration in the midst of the midnight to persevere 
when we saw midnight from Monday through Saturday, we were blessed to witness when we got up to church on Sunday morning that the light illuminated in the midst of the darkness. It became a hiding place. It became an empowering place. It became a rescuing place. It became a resting place. It became the one space where we got to experience <clears throat> what we believe to be the love of God in a very powerful and a very influential manner. Because what happens, says John, when we get into the midnight, is that midnight brings out of us the love of God the light of God and the life of God. We get to share with one another all of those attributes that God has placed within us and that we share in our community because of a midnight consequence, because of a midnight situation. The family of Mr. Floyd is experiencing yet all of those attributes in the midst of their midnight from people all around who are showing them love in the midst of their tragedy, who are experiencing uh, and showing them life. And even though a life has been taken, they're going to work at infusing another dimension of life that they might survive and light. Uh, in the words of Obama, that they might take the high road and that they might demonstrate the character of God in them, that they may walk in the holiness of God, and that they may entrust unto God, somehow justice will make its way to their house. Once again, John is elevating this theme of light because that's what you and I are in Jesus. Listen to what he says in verse seven. If you walk in the light as he himself is the light, we got fellowship with one another. And what I'm pushing for today is that when we are working at mastering our midnights, I want to underscore that word that John used in verse three and four about fellowship, particularly in verse three, fellowship. That's what's going to keep us united, strengthened, and empowered as a church community. That fellowship, that hanging together, that walking in the light of who God is. Notice the verbs that John uses in verse six and seven uh, that are critical because what they do, they inspire us by way of action, obviously. Look what he says in verse six. Um, Say, do, and walk. Three commands of action that we might do in the light despite the darkness. I want you to say the word of God. I want you to speak the word that it's life, that it gives you power. I want you to do the word of God. I want you to 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 do the word, believe the word, and watch the word manifest its reality in your life. I want you to walk the word of God. Even in the midst of darkness, you are light. And I want your light, says John, to shine in the middle of all of the darknesses that you might be experiencing. Because remember, 
it must not master you. Instead, it should provoke in you the power of the Holy Spirit because of who Jesus is in your life. Now, what I want us to do is to listen to what the Bible says about you and me as lights for the kingdom. As we are mastering and we are able to master our midnights because we are lights. In Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, read that little short passage again for yourself. Jesus says this, I'm going to paraphrase, you are the light of the world. And Jesus is suggesting it is not right. It's not my will that you walk around like a blown light bulb. You weren't intended to be a blown light bulb. You were intended to be a bright light, an illumination for folk. Listen to what he says in the verse. He says, men don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel. They don't put it under an object, but they elevate it on a lampstand so that it gives light to everyone who's in the house. And that's what I think God wants you to understand this morning. As you are in your dark midnight moment, remember God is calling us to preach light, to be preaching lights preaching lights that not only help lead ourselves, but leave others out of the darkness uh, so that they can give light to everyone in the house. You are a preaching light with your lifestyle so that people can see how Christ works in the midst of an individual's life. There's a second thing about life. God wants us to be productive light, productive light. In Luke chapter 16, in verse 8, there's a story there about a man who's told by his master that he discovered that he's been deceitful and that he's going to fire him. And the man says to himself, well, what will I do? I don't know how to dig. I can't work. I'm not a laboring kind of person with my hands. I got to figure out something else to do. And so what does he do? He goes back to all of his master's customers he asked him how much is on their bill and he reduces it. By doing that, he's probably inviting those customers to become a part of his business, that he might be the manager of their funds. And the master looks at him and says, you know what? I can't hate you. I can't be mad at you, even though you're an unjust servant. I recognize your tenacity to be creative, to find a way to survive. In other words, God is saying in your darkness, I permit them to come sometimes so that you can reach in and discover the creativity in you and work your way out, work your way through to survive. And that's what we've always done as a people. And that's what some of you can testify. I can hear some amens right now this morning. You have navigated your way in darkness as a productive light. And I call it productive light because every day that you had to get up 
and go in the midst of darkness, you found your light shining a little more and a little more and a little more, and you were moving your way to victory. While all of those who were shining their who were shining their darkness on you and around you can't figure out how you keep surviving every single day. You keep getting up. You keep becoming more victorious, more powerful. Why? Because in the midst of this darkness, it is power provoking. And you find through the help of the Holy Spirit how God lifts you up and encourages you and empowers you. And even though you may claim the words of Job, though he slay me, yet I'm going to trust him. And you find out in that trusting moment that God ain't slaying you, but he's making you. In the words of Jesus, John 15, that you might bear more fruit. Because you were meant to be not just a light, but a preaching light and a productive light. And God, listen, if God says to an unjust, dishonest man, I, I recognize your creativity. You, you found a way to make it work even when you were threatened with losing it all. You found a way to make it work. One of the great things in this COVID-19 season is people are finding a way to survive after they've lost their jobs. They're coming up with great in their creativity with new opportunities. They're launching into uh, entrepreneurship. They're finding ways to meet needs of the community. They're finding ways in this restaurant context where there could not be any customers in the house. They're finding ways to help serve that they may make a living. In fact, people who own stock in probably Domino's, who own stock in Papa John's, who own stock in, in various different restaurant components, it's probably gone through the roof. It's gone up. It's tripled in its price. Because the demand has produced in those industries productivity. They are the productive ones who are finding a way to make it with grocery stores who are now both delivering. And when you come to the store, they'll deliver the groceries to your car. Productivity, being productive, light. Those who have a fear of coming out into the community, they'll deliver to your house. Those who fear that they may come in contact with something, they'll bring it to your house. Why? It's because they found a way to be a productive life. In the kingdom of God, God is calling us to be productive lights that we might encourage ourselves in each of our communities. Now notice that God is not only calling us to be a preaching light and a productive light, but God is also calling us to be a provisional light. I want you to listen to the words of John chapter 12, uh, particularly in verse, um, I think it's 35 and 36. And listen to what Jesus says as he talks about you being connected to the provision of light. He says, my light will shine for you just a little longer to the disciples. Walk in the light while you can. In other words, keep on staying close to the power that's giving you light, that's providing for you the strength that you need while you can. He says, do that in verse 35 so that the darkness will not overtake you. In other words, so that your midnight will not master you, but I want you to master your midnight. 
He says, those who walk in darkness cannot see where they are going. Then he tells them, put your trust in, in the light while there is still time. Then you will be children. You will become children of the light. What I'm trying to tell you is don't you give up. Don't you throw in the towel. Don't you stop believing. Don't you stop praying. Don't you stop reading the word. Don't you stop inspiring yourself because you see darkness around you. Remember, you're the light in the midst of that darkness. And though it might be midnight in your context, you are to master that midnight because you're the light that's going to change that context. When you come into the room, everything's going to change. What was dark is going to become light because you are light. Let me give you one final thing and then I'm done. God wants us to be not just a preaching light. Everywhere you go, God says, I want your light to preach. I want your life to preach like a light. I want you to be a productive life, a productive light that brings about survival through creativity. I want you to be a provisional light. I want you to stay connected to the one that gives you light, where your light source comes from, the word of God, fellowship with one another. But also, I want you to be a perpetuating life. And I draw this from Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to verse 1 and 2. Because here I want you to see how we are supposed to be lights all the time. Keep perpetuating the life context no matter where we are. First thing he says is imitate God. So everywhere God goes, God gives light. Because God is light. That's it. He's light. He can't give off darkness. Got to be light. So look what it says. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. Everything you do, let God bleed through it. In fact, let God saturate it. No matter what it is, going to work, helping people, disciplining people, correcting people, encouraging people, motivating people. Let God bleed through you. That perpetuating light. When they see you, they know they're going to get hope. They know they're going to get inspiration. They know they're going to get power when they see you. Paul says, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Just told you back in 1 John chapter 1 that I'm a children of light when I walk in the light. Just told you back in John chapter 12 that I'm light when I'm walking in the light. See, John just only reiterates what he's already learned in the gospel. I am light because I'm connected with Jesus Christ. So I've got to be light everywhere that I go. He says, live a life filled with love. Remember what John told us? In this chapter, in this opening words of this chapter, in this introduction, I told you three things that God is light, illumination, God is life, living victoriously, and God is love, the depiction of who he is in totality. And here Paul says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. In other words, says Paul, demonstrate the love by walking in light and not in darkness, 
We're speaking the truth, walking the truth, living the truth. But then listen to what he says to us in verse seven. He says, don't participate in the things that people do. For once <clears throat> you were full of darkness. That's not your life anymore. You ain't a dark person anymore. You're a victorious person. You're a light person. You don't live in darkness. But now you have light from the Lord. Good God Almighty, I got victory now. I can't help but live and shine like a light. So look what he says. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good, right, and true. And that's what God is calling you to do, Zion. That's what God is calling us to do, Zion. Not only personally, but as a church community, we are lights and lights of people who have learned to master their midnights. And we do that through living the life that we find in the word of God through the inspiration of the principles that God give us in the word. We do that through being led by the light and that's the Holy Spirit in which God uses as we are obedient to his divine direction. And we do that by walking in the love to which we have been given. And that love looks beyond the faults that we have and sees our need, it enables us to see the power of what God does when we are willing to allow him to consistently teach us how to master our midnights. I'm a believer by faith, Zion, that every one of you are going to do that. You may say, Pastor, I haven't done that yet. And I'll say, okay, that's understandable, but make this a goal in your journey. <clears throat> Continue to work at mastering your midnights. Read the word of God and see how God worked in the midst of people's lives that helped them master their midnights. And I believe you're going to start seeing some very victorious moments in your own journey. Master your midnights and don't allow your midnights to master you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time in the preaching of the word. And pray now, Lord, that this word finds a heart in which their ears have permitted these seeds to be dropped. And we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth. And that in due season, they are going to reap if they faint not. Lord, empower someone today who will make that decision to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I praise and glorify you somebody's life is going to be changed today. They're going to walk differently, act differently, because they're going to see how you are going to help them, help them master their midnights. We love you and we praise you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Zion, I love you. Thank you so much for being the people that you are. Thank you for your support that you've given us. We encourage you, as we always do after each service, that you would make sure that you go, whether it be by text uh, and do text giving support the ministry, whether it be by going to the church website and utilizing e-text or e-giving, should I say, uh, enable yourself to give in your tithes and offerings, whether it be by mailing us a check, however you get it to us, we greatly appreciate how you are working to support this ministry and to make all things work together uh, for the good.
Thank you so much for your faithfulness. We continue to pray for our congregation that we'll con ever continue to stand tall, stand true on the word of God and permit the Holy Spirit to be our guide in all things. We are making progress, Zion. We are growing. We are thanking God for we're getting closer uh, to becoming more of who God wants us to be. We give God the glory and praise for who you are and thank you for allowing uh, me to be your pastor and I give God the glory for you are my sheep. I love you. Have a great, wonderful day in the Lord. Continue to be blessed. Let's meet together again here on Wednesday evening as we gather for prayer time and gather for a time of study in the word. We give God praise now unto him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne. He is indeed the all wise eternal God. And we give him the praise and glory henceforth now and forevermore. All of God's people say amen, amen, and amen. Give yourself a big old hug and let yourself know God loves you. And so do I have a blessed day in the Lord.